Philippians 2, Part 1, in the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are watching. Uh, we do celebrate with you today, and uh, may you continue to be exemplary to the people that are around you. But when you think about this idea of being happy, it's really hard, especially in the climate that you and I are living in today. It's not easy to be happy during a season where there's a virus that has claimed so many lives. It's really hard to be happy when we're in a season of so much tremendous loss. Some of you might have experienced loss of even health. Maybe you've recovered from COVID-19, but you still haven't fully recovered. I've talked to some people that have recovered from it, but they still feel the lingering effects of it. And it overwhelms them to a very deep degree as well. Some of you might have lost jobs as a result of COVID-19, and you're still trying to figure out ways to support your family. And it's been hard. It's been really hard. It hasn't been easy. Some of you have lost relationships. Maybe you've lost the quality of your relationships because of the quarantine. You're with this person 24-7, and it's been such a struggle to see them every day, every minute, and you didn't even know there were issues in your relationship until you stayed together and you lived together, and literally you were around them all the time, and there was a struggle there as well, and you've lost a relationship. Some of you might have lost relations because of COVID-19, because you've lost some people as a result of it. So it's not easy, right? It's not easy to be happy during this season. And then we see the racial pandemic that we see in our society that's really impacted the world, but we see this racial pandemic where our black brothers and sisters continue to live in a world, even though they've been here for 400 years, where they continue to live in a world where people teach them or remind them that their lives value, their lives are less valuable than other lives here in this country. And it's so hard to live in a country where we proclaim justice for all, freedom for all, and yet the reality of that is actually tainted because of the harsh realities of what happens to our black and brown brothers and sisters. So happiness is not easy to experience. And Pastor Hosang talked about this a few weeks ago. The best case scenario for non-Christians is really for them to live in happiness. But those, the happiness is deeply contingent upon the happenings in our life, right? So if there are things in your life that aren't good, that are bad things that are occurring in your life. You can't be happy. And so for the best case scenario for non-Christians is really to experience happiness, but that is so deeply contingent upon the happenings in your life. Now for Christians, it's altogether different. And that's why we started a series like this called Contagious Joy. Joy is God created. Joy has nothing to do with your present circumstances. Joy is something which God creates, and regardless of what you might be going through today during this season of loss or during this very difficult season that you find yourselves in, you and I can experience joy. You and I can experience joy even though we might be in prison for a crime we did not commit. That's exactly what's happening to Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is in prison as he's penning these powerful words, which Philippians is known as the book of joy. He's in jail for a crime he did not commit. And yet he's teaching you and I how we can experience joy because he is living in that joy. Joy for a Christian is found in the unmistakable truth that we are deeply loved by God, that we can experience God's love for us simply not by what we have done in our past, our present, or our future, but that you and I can experience God's love because he loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ here to die for us on the cross and rise from the dead. That's why you and I can experience joy, because it's so deeply rooted in the love of God. And in this 11 verses that we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 2, 
The Apostle Paul makes a very powerful statement about how you and I can experience contagious joy. He says that we cannot experience it unless we live in Christian community. Now, that might be hard for some of you to grapple with because you're saying, I haven't experienced true community or joy from my church community. I get that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But please understand what Paul is saying here. He is saying that you and I today, we have a very important choice to make. In fact, the holiest choice, the holiest thing that you and I can participate in every single day are actually the choices that we make. And Metro, the choice that you and I have to make today is this. Will we commit ourselves to, the ch- to church community? Will we choose to live in church community today? Because God's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to force you to do it. It's a choice that we have to make. And Paul is saying that true joy happens when we live in Christian community. So how does that happen? Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New International Version. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you're old school, you actually have a physical Bible, grab a pen while you're at it because I want you to underline a couple things here so you can spend some more time reflecting upon it throughout the week. Here it goes. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Metro, this is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so, God, we come, and as your servant penned these powerful words 2,000 years ago in prison, help us to get to the depth of the meaning of what he really encouraged this church in Philippi to do. Lord, I do believe that there are many watching today that have been hurt by people in the church before. And maybe they have said, you know what, I'm just going to go to church for the teaching, and that's it. But God, would you open our hearts and our minds to understand the depth of what Paul is trying to communicate to us today, that we cannot experience joy apart from a fellow brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room and those watching in their homes, I pray, God, that it would indeed be a pleasing and sweet fragrance unto you. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. All right, well, before we can really go into this text here, I want to first set this up. We need to first establish the first two verses here. Look at verse 1. Here's what Paul says. It's sort of rhetorical in how he asks this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have a pen, underline the entire verse of, chapter two, of verse 2, then make my joy complete 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul is urging the Philippian Christians to have the same love for one another that they already have experienced in God's love for them. That's what he's doing here. He wants you to realize that when you experience God's love for you, which I hope all of you have, can say an amen to that, that you've experienced God's love. He's saying that that is not just for you to grab onto and hoard by yourself. As you encounter the love of God, it is imperative that now you release it unto other people. That if you hold on to just receiving God's love and you don't share it with anyone else, you have a big problem, my friends. And so he's saying that it's so important that you and I experience the love of God, but that we are also intentional about now sharing it to other people. Now, Paul has in mind the Christians in the church in which you and I belong to today. Paul goes as far as to say this, that if we don't do that, he's saying that we cannot experience joy. In fact, Paul makes it very personal. He says that his joy is not complete unless Christians are loving each other like this in the church. Now, while on the surface that might sound a little bit self-serving, for Paul in reality it speaks volumes to his pastoral heart. See, what Paul wants the Christians in Philippi to understand is that his joy is deeply tied to him living in community and love with the church in Philippi with these people that he's led to Jesus Christ, that his joy is deeply connected to his Christian community, to his church. And that's what it's about. That is how you and I can experience contagious joy. My hope and prayer is that after this sermon, you begin to reflect a little bit and you'll begin to realize, are you experiencing joy in this church if this is your church? Do you find joy amongst brothers and sisters in Christ here? Are you doing that? Now, you see, understand Paul's smart here. He knows that experiencing joy in community is not going to always happen as we get along well. Because if anything, if you're anything like me, if you're in relationships with people in the church, outside the church, don't you realize that there's going to be conflicts that arise? That there's going to be situations where things will get hard, right? And so that's why Paul says in verse 2, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Underline, circle that word like-minded. What does that mean? Having the same, having the same love right, which is God, Jesus Christ's love in which you and I experience and can share, being one in spirit, what that means is that we find our unity in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, no matter what our differences are, and being of one mind. Being of one mind is when you and I commit ourselves to what Pastor Mike talked about a few weeks ago, or last Sunday, about living out the full gospel. That as we commit ourselves to being people that fulfill by proliferating the gospel message in our homes, outside of our homes, that as we establish God's kingdom here on earth, Paul is saying what's going to happen is simply this. People from the outside will attack the church, and also people within the church might attack. There might be things that compromises the unity of the church. And he's saying in those moments, you and I are to be like-minded. We are to be like-minded. Why? Because we share the same love in which God provides for us. We are to be like-minded because we have the same Holy Spirit that you and I lean upon for guidance upon our lives. And we are to be like-minded because we are one in mind. We understand that being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't just to enjoy this life, live in a nice house with a nice, you know, nice, nice pool or whatever. It's to go on vacation. But we understand that being a Christian, our primary mission is to go and establish God's kingdom here on earth. Can I get a virtual amen? That's what it means to be a Christian. And Paul's saying that we are to be like-minded because if we can be like-minded on that and be on the same page, then no matter what happens in and outside the church, no matter who tries to divide it, we're going to be okay. We will still be able to experience joy 
with one another as a result of it. And so Paul is trying to encourage you and I to know that joy can be experienced in a Christian community, can only be experienced in a Christian community when we are truly like-minded. So then the question then is, how do we experience like-minded joy in community? This is not an easy thing to do. I don't know if you think this is easy. I think this is very difficult. How can we be like-minded Christians? How can we experience joy by being like-minded in community? The first thing we learn is this. We experience like-minded joy in community by being humble. By being humble. Look at verse 3b. Here's what Paul says. Rather, in humility, circle the word humility, value others above yourself. In humility. All right, that's the key thing. Humility shouldn't be confused with false modesty. Humility shouldn't be confused with you thinking lowly of yourself. That's not humility. Back in the days when somebody would come to me and say, hey, I was really blessed by your sermon. You know how I would respond? Praise the Lord. To God be the glory, right? That was false modesty. You want to know why? Because if somebody came up to me and said, man, I didn't like your sermon. I had major issues with your sermon. You know what I'd begin to do? I would begin to demonize that person and be deeply bitter towards them. I would vilify them. You see, that's a false modesty. It's not true humility. Now I'm at a place where if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, thank you for that sermon, really spoke to me, I'll just say thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. It really does. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I had some issues with your sermon, um, I'll say, why? Well, what were some of the issues? And they'll share it with me. And I actually will think about it because maybe I did drop the ball. But at the end, this is what I'll tell them. I said, you know what, though? I just want you to know I did my best. I studied God's word, and I preached what God put on my heart. That to me is true humility. See, what's humility? How do we define humility? Here it is. You ready? This is huge. This is huge for you. If you get this, it's going to help you to experience true joy. Humility is about having proper estimation of yourself. That's what humility is. If you want to grow in humility, you have to have a proper estimation of yourself. You've heard me in the past say that humility is about trusting in God. And that is what humility is as well. But that's more of the byproduct. It's the fruit of what humility looks like. If you and I ever want to grow to humility, we have to have a proper estimation of ourselves. Meaning, we need to be self-aware of ourselves. We need to know who we are, what we're feeling. We need to be able to identify those things. Because if we don't, and we continue to live in oblivion and, and, and pretend to not sort of live our lives like they're not there, then we'll continue to live in a place where we don't know who we really are. And there's no way you can trust in God then because if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a proper estimation of yourself, there is no way you can trust in God because it's the byproduct of what humility is. And that's why you need the church community. Because it's through Christian community where we can be with each other and experience community where we can sit with each other and also love each other to the point where we can share some truths about one another that we may not even know. And we can be a little bit like Jesus because what Paul says in verse 8 about Jesus is really the goal for you and I. He says this in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on across. Metro, we have to grow in humility if you want to experience like-minded Christianity where you can experience joy. If you want to experience like-minded joy, if you want to be like-minded with a fellow brother and sister in Christ, even in this church that you may not get along with all the time, you need to have a proper estimation of yourself. So then I ask you, do you do that? 
Do you have proper people? Do you have proper channels or, 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 or sort of a, a structure in your life where there's people that can pour a deeper sense of who you are? Because if you don't have that, you cannot grow in humility. Because I'm telling you, no matter how much you reflect by yourself, you can't be fully self-aware in isolation. It's impossible to do that. You need some other people to speak truth into you. You need other people to speak truth into you to help you to process some of the things you're going through. One of the most important questions you can ask yourself as you're going through hardships emotionally especially is what is underneath all of that? What is underneath all of that? You see, maybe you're angry at some people in the church, that you've been struggling with some people, and typically what happens sometimes is as we get angry, what do we normally do, especially today? We always think about leaving and going to another church. And maybe, perhaps, maybe that's a typical practice for some of us today, that as, you, as you're watching this, maybe there's some people that have upset you in this church. I want you to ask the question. Now, I'm not saying that what you feel isn't legitimate, because I'm sure it is at some level. But what we need to do is we need to process this and say, but what's underneath all of that? Because while I think maybe the other person definitely should be to blame at some level, I think there's something deeper that might be going on in your heart that you're not even aware of. That you need to process it and say, what is underneath this? What is going on with what I'm feeling right now? Because if we can't do that, we become slaves to our feelings. And they tell us how we are to live our lives rather than God himself. It's one of the most dangerous places to be. We have to be at a place. We have to be like-minded when we talk about Black Lives Matter, or I like to say God values black lives. We have to be like-minded on that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't, then the truth is you're not living out the full gospel because my Bible teaches me that God created everyone in his image. That's what the Bible teaches us. And when black people in this country continue to be reduced to lesser human beings than other people in this country, the Metro, this is not a political issue. This is a gospel issue that we have to be like-minded in, that we have to be willing to ask ourselves, why, why is it bothering me, though? Why am I not passionately about this? What is going on in my own heart, in my life, that is drawing me to that? We need the community of God to bring together, to come together within this church so that we can be like-minded Christians, being united in the love of God, being one in spirit, and being one in mind. Being humble is about having a proper estimation of yourself, and you can't do that unless you're fully aware of who you are. About six years ago, um, I'm going to be going on sabbatical starting in July. Um, This will be my fourth sabbatical here at Metro. And uh, a few years, about six years ago, I was with my good friend Alex G. Many of you know him. He's a very popular pastor here at Metro. He's come and preached here many times. He's done a lot of different workshops, but he's one of my closest friends. And we were hanging out in New York City together. We are just kind of sitting outside, and I was getting ready to go on my sabbatical. I was a few months away from it, and I said to him, I said, man, I don't really know what to do for my sabbatical. And Alex has traveled the world with me. He's actually stayed in my home many times. He's seen kind of how I live my life. I've shared everything with the guy. The guy knows everything about me. And he said, can I, can I challenge you on doing something? I said, sure. He said, Peter, um, I still believe you have a lot of shame in being Korean. That there's something there that you need to work on. And he says, I want to challenge you for you to apply for a grant and hopefully you get the grant, but when you do that, I think you should spend your sabbatical in South Korea. Go back there with your family. 
Go retrace your roots. And Peter, you need to be proud that God made you Korean because right now you're not. It was one of the more powerful encounters I had with Alex. And I listened to him. I applied for a grant. I got it. My family and I were in South Korea for about two, two and a half months. And I was able to go and connect with relatives I never met. I finally learned what my, what my Korean name actually meant, which was really amazing. Uh, I visited the home that I lived in when I first was born. And I only stayed in Korea for about three months. And then I moved to the States after that. And it just allowed me to connect with the culture and just to learn more and to meet family. And I stand here today, six years later, grateful that God made me Korean. Because growing up in a very white neighborhood where kids made fun of you growing up because you were Korean, there was just a lot of shame I had to endure. You see, Christian community allowed me to, fo- to be more self-aware of some of the things that I need to work on so that I can have a proper estimation of myself. For what? For what? So that I can be humble and trust in God for my life. That's what's at stake here. And we can experience joy. I'm going to talk about this next Sunday, apart from obedience. And you can't obey if you don't trust fully in God. You cannot trust fully in God unless you have a proper estimation of yourself. We need to grow in self-awareness. If we do that, we can be like-minded Christians where we experience the joy of God. The last thing, we experience like-minded joy in community by being selfless. By being selfless. All right, so humility and second is being selfless. All right, look at uh, verse 3. 3A, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I really love the New Living Translation. It says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. That's what it says. The truth is we're all selfish, aren't we? At some levels, we all are selfish to a certain level. So I want you to turn to your spouse or to your kids or to just somebody. If you're by yourself, just turn to the left or to the right. Just believe somebody's there in spirit. And just say to them, you're selfish. Say, you're selfish. Because we're all selfish. We are all selfish people, all right? It's just the truth. We are all all selfish people. We all struggle with it at some level. Selfish ambition literally stands at the heart of our human fallenness, where our self-interest, even at the expense of others, dictates how we are going to value things in life and how we're going to behave. Metro, when you do things out of selfishness, we not only stand against the people we're being selfish towards, but I want you to know this. You're You're standing against God. And when we are selfish, we cannot experience true joy. And so one of the best things we can do is as we're growing in our humility, better self-awareness of ourselves, we have to now say we got to grow in an area where we're no longer going to be selfish, but we're rather going to be selfless. Now, look, look at how Jesus will teach us how we can be selfless. Look at how Paul says. This is the perfect model of a selfless person. It says in verse 6, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. How can we begin to be selfless? How did Jesus do that? You know what Jesus did? He gave up his divine privilege, and he became one of us, and he served us. That's how we became selfless, and I think that's really great wisdom here. How can you and I begin to be more selfless in our lives? We have to be willing to give up our privilege to love and serve our fellow brother and sister in Christ. Can I take it a little bit further there? If I can, if I can just push a little bit forward. If you and I want to grow in being selfless, particularly in this church, if you are white, if you are yellow, meaning if you are Asian, we are to give up our privilege 
so that we can serve our fellow brothers and sisters in this church, particularly those that might be struggling, that might be struggling. That word, vain conceit, or the New Living Translation calls it impressing other people. In the Greek, it is translated as empty glory. When you live to impress other people, you're just living for your glory. You're not living for the glory of God. And I think all of us, in some ways, we try to impress other people a lot. We struggle with this empty glory. And uh, you can ask yourself, do you long for the approval of other people? I think all of us do to some levels. But if you have a strong sense of wanting to, to, uh, to win the approval of a lot of people in your life, particularly even those that are very close to you, um, you might struggle with this vain conceit, this empty glory. We have to be willing to put it down. And we do that by laying down our privilege so that we can serve one another. How do we do that? How do we lay down our privilege? It's simply this, is when somebody else's interest in this church is greater than yours, right? That's what Paul says in verse four, right? He says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You and I become selfless when we begin to care more about the interests of other people in this church, particularly the ones that are suffering today greater than ourselves. That's how we become selfless. That's how you and I can grow in this and truly experience the power and love of God, his joy. So it's about being humble by having a proper estimation of yourself, but it's about being selfless by giving up our privilege so that other people's interests are more important than ours, particularly the ones in our church that are suffering. Listen, there's so much at stake here for your Christian life today, but the greatest thing that's at stake that Paul wants you and I to know is your joy. And if you want to experience joy that Paul is talking about while he's in prison, if you want to experience joy that surpasses any circumstances that you and I are going through, those are the two things you must take very seriously today and ask God to help you to grow in a proper estimation of yourself. Asking God to help you to be more selfless because you and I live in a world where we are so selfish and consumed by our own interests, where we can lay down our privilege and care deeply more for the interests of others, particularly our brothers and sisters who are hurting today. I want to be honest. I'm really glad to see so many of the people in our church standing with our black brothers and sisters during this trying time for them. It's been encouraging to see it. We've been at a few rallies. It's been great to see so many of you attend those in support. But I want you to know this is not new for our black brothers and sisters and what they experience here. Black people have been experiencing injustice since the moment they entered into this country 400 years ago. Black people were immigrants. You and I, immigrants, people of color in our church, we all got to be immigrants when we came into this country. For black people, they were imported to this country. Elder Scott um, Whitehurst shared a couple weeks ago with our partners. He said, the reason why this hurts is, and he shared with our church, he said, you all got to immigrate to this country. We didn't. We were imported. We were treated like a product rather than a person. And that hurts. And, we're, and they're constantly being reminded of the realities of that. The pain is real and it's deep and we'll probably never be able to fully empathize with what they feel. However, if I'm going to be honest... I'm a little worried about some of our people in this church that this outrage that they're feeling is being motivated to some degree to impress others on social media and maybe others on this church. That it's really for themselves to impress other people than it is really because they truly care more about the interests of their fellow black brothers and sisters in Christ. That they care more about the hashtags 
and saying some powerful motivational stuff on social media. And what happens over time? You're so obsessed with getting the likes and getting the comments, you're looking at it like every like five to ten minutes, hoping that more people will like it, more people will comment on it. And what happens if nobody does? God forbid, you'll begin to get angry. And you might even say, you know what, forget it then. I'm not going to be for the black brothers and sisters here in this church. That's a scary place to be. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about what's going to happen to the people in our church when this outrage that you might be feeling One day, it's going to end. The social media, they're not going to have hashtags anymore on Black Lives Matter. Things are going to end, and I'm, I'm worried about what will we do? What will we do as a community? Because the worst thing that can happen, honestly, is for us to be really engaged in this right now, and then five, two, three, four, five years down the road, we completely lose interest in it. Metro, this is not something that we need to lose interest on because this is something that's at the heart of God that we have to engage in this at a deeper level. How will you be humble and selfless and engage in this? Because this is exactly what God would want us to do. The gospel message isn't just about our reconciliation with Jesus Christ, but the second part of the gospel message is our reconciliation with those who we call our neighbors. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, Paul says, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, he's destroyed the walls of racial Hostility. The mark of true discipleship are not interwoven into our hashtags that we put up, but it's our willingness to fight, and even if God would call us to die and stand by our black brothers and sisters. How will we continue to fight and stand with them today and especially tomorrow? Metro, I want to encourage you to search deep within your soul because the self and your desire to want to impress others. Because if we don't, then we're going to have no other choice but to live within them. And during this time, as you're being an activist, which is fantastic, I want you to go deeper and ask yourself, is it being motivated by your own selfish desires to want to impress other people, or are you really doing it because you love Jesus and you experience him in such deep and powerful ways? And because of that, you know that Jesus has come to restore equality to all of humanity. And when you see something happening to black and brown people on TV, you realize that the Imago Day is being compromised. And as a result, you're not just going to sit there. You're not just going to put stuff on social media, but you're going to do something about it. And one of the things that Paul is saying is simply that this is the advantage we have here. Most churches in America are ethno-specific. They get into their own silos with their own people groups, and that's it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what they don't get to experience is what we get to experience here at Metro Community Church. There's over 25 different countries represented here. We are a multi-ethnic community that we have an opportunity now to connect with a fellow brother and sister in this church to grow, to learn, and to now say, this is my brother and my sister, and whatever happens to them, I am going to be a part of and stand with them no matter what. If I'm going to be honest with you, I've been so angry. I have been so angry over the last few weeks or several weeks that's been happening. I mean, as you and I know, a black man can't even run in a neighborhood without being shot down. An unarmed black man is considered a major threat to a police officer that in, their, in an officer's fear and their hate, they will take the life of a black man. If you and I committed some kind of a crime, we would be arrested and taken in and we'd be standing before a judge. But for many times, for so many years, 
For a black man, that's not the case because the police officer is the judge, and he often gives the verdict of a death sentence. Now listen, I say this with a lot of empathy because one of my closest friends is a police officer, and we, he and I engage in such deep conversation, and I do believe in law enforcement. If we don't have them, there would be anarchy, yes. But please, we need to embrace the truth that for hundreds of years, this country, through its white politicians, has empowered police officers to destroy the quality of life of our black brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's just the truth. There's no way around it. So it's been hard. There is a sense of anger that I feel for that. I'm going to be honest. I've been very angry with the white evangelical church. Now, I say this, and I caveat it. If you are white and you're watching, you're part of our church right now, I mean, I wish we could clone more of you because you are living out what Paul is doing. You know what you've done? You have given up your privilege, your white privilege, and you've decided to be a part of a church where you've submitted yourself to ethnic leadership. That is amazing. That is exemplary. I hope and pray that God would use you to impact other white evangelical Christians, but I am so upset with the white evangelical Christian movement here in America that so many of them continue to support an administration that only cares about themselves and only cares about dividing this country more and more every single day. And it hurts to know that these people stand, they say they believe in Jesus Christ, and yet they continue to do this. It hurts, and, it's, and it gets me angry. And I'm going to be honest, I've been angry at my own tribe, the Asian-American Christians. I've been angry at them because... We still aren't willing to process and grow in a proper estimation of ourselves and dig deeper and realize what is really bothering us at the issues that are going on and why doesn't our heart break for what's going on today in the world that we see. And so, but for me, in the past, I've used my anger, I'm just going to be honest, I've used my anger for my own selfishness I've used my anger to hurt other people and do things where my anger was not righteous all the time. And sometimes it was done because I wanted to impress the black brothers and sisters in our church and, of course, my close friends. I won't do that anymore. I won't. I won't do things like that to impress other people because in the end, it's all about me. What I will continue to do is stand by my black brothers and sisters by being their friend but also I will stand by them by being led by them. I told Pastor Sunita, and I told her this week, and I told her a few weeks ago, I said, I need you to lead this church. I need you to lead this church in the area of racial reconciliation. I said, I will follow you. You lead it. And I will submit myself to your leadership. I submit myself to the leadership of the elder board here, particularly with Scott Whitehurst and Tasia Penn. And I submit myself to them because I need them to lead us in this area. And me, as an Asian American and as a senior pastor in this church, I will give up my privilege and I will be led by them. That's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to continue to enter into deep conversations and deep friendships with people like Preston Thompson, who God has blessed me with three years ago here in this community. He's a pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. We can go deeper in understanding the tensions between Asians and black people and understanding deeper of what it's like to be black in this country more and more. Metro, we need to come alongside. This is the time for our church. 
This isn't just so that we can be politically correct and so that people see us and they're impressed of what we put up on Facebook. But at the end of the day, our joy is at stake here at Metro. And if we can't be humble, if we can't be selfless by caring for the needs of other people, their interests become greater than ours, then we're just going to live our lives wanting to impress people. And could you just see what happens in your life when our spirituality is deeply connected with our desire to want to impress other people, when we just live for empty glory, it is a dangerous, dangerous reality. And I won't do that. I hope you won't as well. And that we would do this for real, locking arms and figuring this out and saying no matter what, God has brought the people into this church just like you had no choice in who became a part of your immediate family. You didn't have a choice who would be a part of your biological family. And you don't have a choice who God brings into this church. We are all family, and we need to see each other as family. And so because we didn't get a choice, it doesn't mean that now you have a choice to opt out. God wants us to come together. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be selfless so that we stop pursuing empty glory, and we care about the interests of other people, particularly those who are hurting today. That's what God is calling us to do. That's why we're here in Englewood, and that is the mission of this church. And so the question that I ask you today, because so much is at stake, particularly your joy, Will you choose to be like-minded Christians with one another so that we can encounter this joy that surpasses all understanding? A few weeks ago, I got a letter from um, one of our partners here at this church. Kathy has been a great partner. She's helped us in so many ways with management, leadership. She's helped out Zamele. And uh, she sent an email to me and to some of the black leaders in our church. And uh, I was so impacted by that letter uh, I just said to her, I said, would you please come and maybe share this with our church? Would you mind doing so? And so I've asked her to come and just share a short testimony of how God's been impacting her life. So Kathy, please come forward and share. Okay. Um, Pastor Peter shared that uh, I emailed him a few weeks ago, and I have to say that I've agonized for the past few weeks um, in coming up here. It's not an easy place to know, even though um, the congregation isn't here, but to know that a deeply personal story will be shared with so many people is um, it's a little scary. And so um, I've really agonized over it, but I trust that God has brought me here and that my story will be received with, with um, open hearts. So um, almost four years ago, Pastor Kevin preached a message on racial reconciliation, and I sent him an email criticizing his message. I did my best to be respectful, but I felt hurt and unheard. I understood why this message was important, but I was still smarting from a recent conversation with a black man who basically told me that I should be focusing on issues at home, like the BLM movement, rather than the North Korean human rights cause that was and still is near and dear to my heart. I was angry. I thought back to that time in China when I watched helplessly as a North Korean defector was taken by the police to be sent back to North Korea and almost certainly to her death. I mean, I saw the fear in her eyes and her pain was my own. And I just, I cried all that night. Yes, that pain was real, but what I had failed to recognize was that my 
black brother's pain should also have been my own. I was too focused on what was more readily accessible to me to be able to meet him where he was. Thankfully, Pastor Kevin responded like he usually does with wisdom and gentleness. And Pastor Peter, not long after that, shared a story about the black pastor who expressed grief regarding Korea's painful history. Now, I'm not one to tear up during service, but I couldn't help myself. I felt heard. And then I more fully realized what my black brothers and sisters were asking of me. Humbled by those experiences, I sought to better understand the plight of the black community. I read books like 12 Years a Slave, um, Just Mercy. I watched the documentary 13th. I participated in prison ministry. And I joined Jack. And so I was surprised by my reaction to the recent protests. When I first watched the video of George Floyd's murder, I was horrified. I'd heard the names and read some of the stories of other black men and women who had died at the hands of police. But this video ignited a deeper rage in me, as it has in so many others. But the anger at that unconscionable death was rather quickly substituted by anger against those looting and destroying property during the ensuing protests. I didn't think too much about this change of perspective, but then our elder Scott said something at a recent partners meeting that gave me pause. I don't remember what he said verbatim, but Scott essentially asked whether we were more disturbed by the destruction of property, which although not condoned, can often be remedied, or by the indefensible killings of black men and women. This question made me feel uncomfortable, and that discomfort revealed something about me that I didn't want to address. But God's urging proved to be more persistent than my own hesitations. And so I turned to God for help, delving into my heart and life to recognize the factors that had led me to this point. One of the first things I realized was that I hadn't actually meaningfully interacted with the black community until I started attending Metro. I hadn't had any close black friends in college or graduate schools, and I have only a vague memory of one black colleague in all the places that I've worked. Add to this the story of how my dad got his jaw knocked out by a black man and the numerous instances of my family's accessory store being robbed by black people. Add to this the news of the LA race riots and the destruction of Korean businesses. Add to this the vilification of blackness that I've subconsciously consumed for over three decades. These were the realities of the racial context in which I grew up, and failing to have grappled with them had left blind spots that couldn't just be addressed with more education. To be clear, I'm in no way trying to excuse my apparent apathy at the injustices endured by the black community. I'm sharing my story in hopes that it can help provide some context for the silence or lack of action on the part of some Korean Americans, many who have had only cursory or negative experiences with the black community. I've also realized that I've managed to stay largely uninvolved because I've managed to remain removed from the hurt. I'm safe if I don't really know those who have been subject to this kind of violence and fear for so long. I can remain emotionally protected if I don't talk about these issues with other people. These have been selfish motivations, and I've had to recognize them and prayerfully learn from my mistakes. 
Thankfully, with lots of prayer and accountability, I recognize the transformation that God is continuing in me that had begun years earlier. Now, I can't even imagine how frustrated my black brothers and sisters must feel. Some of us, like me, have been pretty slow, or very slow, at coming around to support them in their pain. And I'm thankful for their patience and their understanding. And I'm sure there will still be times when I falter, and I will need extra doses of grace to cover over those missteps. In the meantime, I'm thankful for the opportunities to share about my experience, to challenge others about their own blind spots. I'm grateful Metro continues to provide ways for all of us to participate in racial reconciliation and to address injustice as a community. This has been a personally challenging journey, but one that I thank God for leading me on. My hope and prayer is for honest reflection and dialogue with God and with others. Because when we seek to grieve with those who grieve and to embrace the full community of God, we will see relationships restored and communities healed. What I love about Kathy's story is that uh, that's a picture of humility. She would have never had that proper estimation of herself had it not been for Elder Scott challenging our community and different things like that. So let's bow our heads. And uh, I want you to make a commitment. There's a choice you have to make. The choice is this. Will you be like-minded followers of Jesus Christ by being humble and by being selfless? Will you, experience, will you be committed to experiencing like-minded joy in community by being humble and by being selfless? My hope and prayer is that you would say yes to that. I'm just going to give you literally 30 seconds to make that commitment and make that choice today. And then I'm going to pray for us. Paul says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, 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 rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, our Father. God, thank you so much for this powerful truth today and for all those who made a commitment to grow in humility and to grow in being more selfless. I pray that you would help them to experience this like-minded joy that Paul was talking about. May our joy be complete. Help us, God, to have a proper estimation of ourselves, to grow in self-awareness and help us to realize we can't do that apart from the Christian community. And so, God, I pray that we will commit ourselves to growing in self-awareness and help us, God, to be selfless, caring for the interests of others more than our own interests, especially those in this church that are suffering today. God, unite us. Unite Metro Community Church. We thank you in your name we pray. 
Amen. There's some next steps I'd love for you to take. If you can just flip, uh, go on to your communication card. There's four. Uh, first, I'm committing myself to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off. We'll get back to you, and we'll make sure we connect with you. The second, uh, please sign me up for Sacred Space on Saturday, June 27th at 10 a.m. Now, listen, this is Sacred Space. Sunita led this a couple weeks ago for the black community. This is for the non-black community here in our church. We want to get together at 10 a.m. All right, we'll send you the Zoom information. And we just want to talk, and, and it'll just be an opportunity for us to ask questions, also to learn to grieve and to learn, all right? So we really want to invite all of you, our non-black community here at Metro Community Church, to make sure you're a part of it. Check that off. We'll give you the Zoom link this week. Uh, third, I will intentionally connect with my spouse or a close friend and have them share one area I need growth in. This is huge. One area you need growth in. Uh, fourth, please sign me up for summer small groups. They're going to happen in the first week of July. You need to be a part of small groups. We're talking about experiencing joy and community. Please, please sign up for that. And lastly, I will pray and be intentional about connecting with people at Metro who are from a different ethnic background. Um, pray about it. Send them a Zoom link and say, hey, could we maybe hook up on Zoom and talk? 